0: Hello everyone, welcome to November and to an all new episode of Insurance Uncovered. This podcast is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies and is your source for insurance news and perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. I'm your host, Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering risk mitigation research. Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety President and CEO Roy Wright stops by to share how his organization helps educate homeowners on ways to protect their property from severe weather. Plus, a reinsurance bill in Illinois passes out of the Senate. How the bill is critical to the future of thousands of Farm Mutual insurers. Well, speaking of Illinois, during the first week of the veto session, senators voted unanimously to advance an insurance bill supporting farm mutuals. Senate Bill 765 is intended to address a problem in the reinsurance market by changing the minimum amount of reinsurance coverage farm mutual insurers are required to hold right now they must provide unlimited catastrophic coverage but if the bill becomes law that requirement will change to adequate coverage a significant difference illinois senator neil anderson one of the bill's sponsors says the bill would make it easier for farm mutuals to do business in the state by ensuring farmers have access to insurance coverage
1: i represent a lot of farmland and uh, if we don't do this uh, these 51,000 policyholders would lose um, their coverage at the end of the year. As we all know in this room, whether you're from uh, the inner city of Chicago or um, anywhere else in the state, agriculture and agribusiness is the number one economic driver in this state. And a lot of that is farmers. If farmers lose their policies and they can't be covered, they go belly up. And if they go belly up, we starve and the world starves. So this is one of the most critical pieces of legislation this body has seen in a very long time.
0: The bill now heads to the Illinois House for consideration when lawmakers return for the second week of the veto session on November 7th. NAMIC, along with a broad coalition of insurance groups, is advocating for the legislation. In Washington on Capitol Hill, a hearing to evaluate the state of the insurance industry was postponed last week, while the extended three-week search for a new Speaker of the House finally came to an end. The House Financial Services Subcommittee on Housing and Insurance will now discuss factors influencing the high cost of insurance for consumers on November 2nd. NAMIC will share written testimony explaining the new era of risk market dynamics facing insurers and consumers across the country. Market factors creating the new challenges for insurers include increasing risk from a changing climate, as well as other important factors such as inflation, the state of the reinsurance market, state regulatory issues and legal system abuse. This will be the first hearing to examine the general state of the industry since February 2016. NAMIC is sharing the association's message and is encouraging subcommittee members to acknowledge the convergence of factors that have contributed to current market dynamics as they consider future options. Meanwhile, the White House recently hosted a virtual discussion about right-to-repair initiatives across the country. President Biden has identified right to repair as a priority, although much of his administration's efforts to date have been more focused on consumer electronics than auto repairs. A presentation from Allstate, however, reinforced the importance of access to aftermarket parts and the ability for independent repair shops to access key vehicle data. The presentation also highlighted how the NAMIC-supported SMART Act will address vehicle manufacturers' abuse of design patents so that aftermarket parts can compete in the marketplace. And it demonstrated how the Repair Act will allow independent repair shops access to the data they need to repair a vehicle. There's definitely a chill in the air this week reminding us that the winter is coming and seasons are changing, many communities remain at risk of wildfire. The Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety recently updated its wildfire-ready guides that lay out a pathway for property owners to build wildfire resilience. In fact, this latest research by the IBHS was recently featured on Good Morning America.
2: We're at a -a one-of-a-kind test facility where researchers study the science of wildfires. That powerful wind is simulated by this towering wall of more than 100 industrial strength fans, blasting those red-hot embers towards structures. And this helps scientists learn what kinds of building materials will burn and what can withstand the hot fury of Mother Nature.
0: On today's Unscripted, NAMIC CEO Neil Aldridge is joined by IBHS President and CEO Roy Wright to talk about the organization's mission to educate homeowners on best practices to protect property from wildfires and other severe weather disruptions.
1: Joining me today on Unscripted is the President and CEO of the Insurance Institute for Business and Home Safety, Roy Wright. Roy uh, has been there for a few years now. Roy is actually a on this podcast once before, several years ago. But Roy, with all the things going on in the mitigation and resilience space in the industry, we're glad to have you join us again and talk through these issues with us.
2: I'm really glad to join you again.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a great set of topics. The in, IBHS does wonderful work for the industry and consumers, uh, really uh, meaningful work. Many in the industry have been to the lab, of course, and seeing the houses blow down and, or catch on fire or whatever the case might be. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, what you see, what's been going on. You've been at the Institute now for five years. Right. Um, and so uh, lots has gone on in the industry since then. So let's talk about what's going on in the world of mitigation and resiliency and all the issues the industry is facing there. Let's do it. What, uh, if you were going to, you know, talk through what stands out most to you at the moment facing the industry in this space, <laughs> like what, what what's the biggest concern you hear the most frequently?
2: Well, what I hear, I I imagine, is what um, all of the members of NAMIC and those who follow in this industry. uh, It is a really complicated market right now. It is. And and maybe complicated is being uh, kind about it. I think depending on the state and the regulatory regime, you might even say it's chaotic um, Mm -hmm. in in that space. And so as we deal with uh, those complexities, Obviously, there are things that are going on and how things are priced, and that's different from place to place. Uh, and there's an inflationary impacts, and you hear about those pieces. But as you look at the elements of what drives price, whether that is inflation, uh, that has to do um, with other elements of rate inadequacy, or just the, the value of people's homes going up over and over and over again, there's the reality of the events themselves. Yep. And that's the unique place where IVHS uh, steps in. Yes, we are here on behalf of the insurance industry and we've crash tested buildings against uh, wind, uh, rain, hail, and wildfire. But the conversations that I'm having with company executives, with regulators, uh, and other public policy makers really is saying given that there's so much going on in making it a hard market and a difficult market folks want to know what they can do and the actions about what they can do to their structures how they can buy down that risk given that we're seeing a change in the number of events that are playing out the severity of those that are there and so that drives every single conversation I'm down in Alabama, I'm in Louisiana, I'm up in Washington, D.C. I'm in California or Colorado or Utah or Florida. It's the same conversation. Now, what Mother Nature's doing is a bit different. Let's let's talk through those kind of elements. You know, we look at where we're at today versus five years ago when I came on board. We've seen an acceleration uh, in our Fortified program. This is the the recognition when homeowners have taken the action uh, to buy down their wind risk principally as it relates to, uh, to roofs uh, mm-hmm. and how we've moved in that space. There's more than 55,000 of those designations um, that are in place uh, today. Uh, we're seeing that move not just into homeowner space, but into multifamily as well. Uh, my board came to me uh, uh, about a year and a half ago on the wildfire space and said, hey, there's lots of great science here. Which pieces matter the most? Can you give me a fortified-like piece in wildfire? And uh, we went to work inside the science and took that on. There's the Wildfire Prepared Home designation that is launched out in California and due time it'll be available in other states uh, as well. Uh, But the leading carriers in California are locked in on those core elements of what it takes. Um, We can show folks uh, the value. And I think we are seeing a really clear spotlight on building codes I'll tell you i'm actually a bit frustrated about where we're at mm-hmm. uh, it's clear enough the value that uh, building codes have and we are continuing to see those uh, improve and the science uh, integrated in but only 28 percent of uh, american jurisdictions uh, have a, a modern current code in place today. Is that, uh, what, it's down, is that what it is currently? It, it's, I, it's gone I down. It yeah. in It had been sitting in the low 30s, and we had another cycle of folks just not choosing to do the updates. Down to 28% of the jurisdictions, and California and Florida bring most of those. Yeah. <laughs> Which tells you just how off it is in that space. But it is that collective element, and we can turn to severe convective storms and hail here in a little bit, but on those two elements of wildfire and um wind risk, we do know how to buy down that risk. Um, the big gap in front of us, which has become clearer and clearer to me, Neil, over the last five years is the last mile of getting consumers willing to put some of their hard-earned money into that.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's interesting. The building code issue, I always have one of my stories. I don't know if it's a good story, but it's one of my stories I tell a lot was in the early days when I started at NAMIC over 20 years ago, I didn't come from the insurance industry. And here I was, this young guy sent out to the States to deal with insurance-related issues and the building code issue came around, and we 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 were going to be working on a building code issue in Kansas. You know, Kansas is one of the states that didn't have a statewide building code. And I thought, well, how hard can this be, right? This is a state that gets lots of tornadoes. It could be really easy to go out there and talk about building codes. And so we had this we called this building code summit meeting in Kansas, and went to this hotel meeting room in Topeka. And you couldn't, I was stunned by the number of people that were in the building, in the room, to talk about building codes and all the different interests and the difficulty it is to get something moving on it. But we know it works, but it is not an easy issue.
2: And building codes are an answer for what we have not yet built. Yeah. Uh, But more than 99 percent of Americans live in structures that were built more than five years ago. Many of them built more than 30 years ago. And so I think part of the chasm we need to um, pass over is the retrofit. And how do we help folks who are in a home that they own take the actions that need to take place?
1: Indeed. Indeed. So let's talk about a little bit about the facility. We could, there's lots of issues we're going to get through here, but let's talk about the IBHS's research facility. And as I mentioned at the outset, lots of folks in the industry uh, have been there, but many have not. So uh, I know you've worked on many different things. Let's yes. talk about the facility itself and, and what some of your latest work has been focused on there.
2: Yeah, so the insurance industry came together back in 2008 and 2009, made a $40 million investment then, probably about a $75 million investment in 2023 dollars uh, to build a facility that could crash test structures. Yep. Um, fill the gaps in science that no one else was filling. Uh, on the wind side of the equation for wind and rain, we are the only facility that does Cat upper Cat 3, lower Cat 4 winds against full-size structures. Uh, there are other wind tunnels around the country and they serve a purpose but most of the time they're blowing wind on dollhouses we are building full-size structures one and two-story structures in that kind of space and recreating what mother nature does um, I, it's one of these things over and over again i watch executives from in the insurance industry arrive here on campus and their eyes just pop they come around that berm and go Oh, so that's what it looks like when there are 105 turbines uh, that are six Mm -hmm. feet across, each of them 350 horsepower, uh, being driven by our own electrical substation. Uh, Yes, it's a six-story building that kind of looks like an airplane hangar. And then you go in and see the work that is playing uh, in that space. Uh, Some of the keystones that are playing right now, uh, a lot of attention – obviously to roofs that I'll turn to, but looking at other dimensions. And so wind-driven rain and how that's coming in um, through windows and other crevices of the house, um, looking at elements about when siding is is failing. Many of the uh, assumptions that have been in place for the last 20 years learning are not the right answer. How do you understand that? How do you understand the claims sequence that play? in that section. Uh, With the uh, entrance and really expansion of solar going on so many homes, looking at how the solar PV panels perform uh, in wind and other kinds of elements, uh, what's going to withstand. And then always holding that wind reality in the lab next to what happens In the field. And so we had pieces on roofing, looking at Hurricane Laura uh, in Louisiana, the derecho from the Midwest, Hurricane Ian from down in Florida, and looking at this piece about how different roof types perform and giving hardcore data. We look at if you're in a pure wind area, we're seeing really good performance on metal roofs. Seen very solid performance uh, on tile roofs. But on asphalt shingles, there's this magic moment somewhere between eight to ten years that regardless of where you're at in the country, you don't survive a bad weather
1: day. Is that is that is that the age where it begins yeah, it's to eight, kind it's of eight lose to its, ten
2: years? Yeah. Um, and most of us, when we buy an asphalt shingle roof or sold something with a 20- or 30-year number tied to it, yep, um, yeah. and as long as you don't deal with a bad weather day, that's a good idea. Um, but on a bad weather day, we see that uh, precipitously begin to fail.
1: hmm
2: but that was a place where things we saw inside the test chamber then had to be met by partnering with members and others who had claims data to see and hold these pieces together and then compare what's going on in the Gulf Coast of Louisiana, what's going on in Illinois and Iowa uh, amid a derecho, what's going on on the west coast of Florida uh, when Hurricane Ian uh, plays out, holding those pieces uh, together. That's what's if I had to put the the wind space in one little um, uh, one little uh, package I'd give it to you the, there. We turn to hail. Yeah. Um, you know, hail has been something that IBHS has played a unique role in. Not a lot of folks do research in hail because there's not a life safety issue, right? Other academics will get into uh, into elements of disasters because of life safety. Um, inside 2023, there have now been 24 severe convective storm events that have paid out more than a billion dollars in insured uh, losses. It's the greatest number of events in a single year. Look at 2023, at least to this point, uh, we have not seen a catastrophic wildfire. Uh, to this point, we haven't seen a catastrophic landfalling um, hurricane. Yet, these losses are just chewing up at the core um, of the reserves uh, that companies have as they deal with these pieces. And so how do roofs perform? How do siding perform? How do these other pieces, when is it just aesthetic? When is it um, more structural? What are the kind of causations? Um, what's the, you know, one of the pieces we recently put out was understanding that small hail is more indicative of the next big hail event than a big hail event. Historically, if it says, well, two-inch hail fell here, we should be prepared for two-inch hail to fall again. We're actually seeing a smaller hail is more indicative of what we would see on those return periods. How do you look at those pieces and then look at the anatomy of a roof and how it's going to perform? Um, hail continues to drive so many losses. I think some of it's priced into product, but I think this pasture demonstrates that there are some elements that really stretch beyond it. And the last piece I'll turn to is, is wildfire. Uh, and I'll describe much of this uh, through a California lens, but I I don't want to be exclusive to California. We're having conversations about wildfire with the state of Washington, the state of Oregon, the state of Colorado, the state of Utah, the state of Nevada, the state of Arizona, um, as well as the state of California, Uh, and we've got to uh, make progress uh, in this space. Uh, clearly, the models have not caught up in understanding the full extent of what can occur. The California insurance market um, is difficult uh, at best for all kinds of reasons before the wildfire ignitions play out. So what we do here at the research center, we have the only facility that can generate um, ember storms. More than 90 percent of the ignitions usually happen because the embers got to the structure. Uh, And so we can generate this. Uh, Good Morning America was uh, on campus uh, with us the beginning of October. Uh, Folks want to just go Google IBHS and Good Morning America, you can see that clip. Um, But going into millions of homes that morning, showing the power of defensible space, particularly the five feet closest to the home. Um, So research on that. I'll uh, give the punchline up front, nothing combustible, nothing that can burn within five feet of the house. No bushes, uh, no uh, fence gates, uh, no uh, trash cans, no storage unit, anything inside that five feet that really needs to be uh, pulled back. Uh, But then even uh, this next week, we've got work going on on structure to structure. Um, how fire spreads in wind-driven pieces. Um, You know, we know that if you're 25 feet away, you're fine. Uh, But most of our suburban neighborhoods are 15 feet apart, 10 feet apart, 6 feet apart. Uh, And how do we understand those elements about the fire once it gets going, particularly when we see winds in the 30, 40-mile-an-hour area? um that pushes embers and embers land and once the embers catch the first structure on fire the structure starts producing embers that flow through and by the time the house next door to you is fully engulfed and is, is burning at 800 degrees fahrenheit well you got radiant heat and you're going you're going to be the next domino that moves down and as i explained to folks all across the west the insurance industry is doesn't view as an existential threat that a house burns down. That's been priced for, that's been built in. They should have all assurance that the product's going to be there for them. It's the conflagration. Mm -hmm. It's the point where 500 structures went, 5,000 structures went, or the worst one in the United States history, the Camp Fire in Paradise, California, 19,000 structures went. And so the attention to this on the wildfire side is how do we narrow the path of damage. How do we help? The ignition may still happen, but if we can narrow the path of destruction and avoid conflagration, well, we're going to put ourselves on a much better path.
1: Yeah, indeed. The, the wildfire issue is uh, one that the industry, all of these issues are ones the industry's been struggling with. And then, of course, we add in the fact that we have the frequency that you talked about. The, 24 storms now, and 23, and not only do we have more of these storms, but we have much higher prices to put things back together again, too. Unfortunately, creating a difficult situation for the industry. One one topic we have not talked about yet, uh, and one that I go back to the podcast interview mm-hmm. you had with then with then AMIC CEO Chuck Chamness in 2019. It's a little ironic. The reason why I pulled it out here is because. Uh, Chuck asked you uh, at that point in time in 2019 about your prognostication on the likelihood of a long-term reauthorization of the flood insurance program. Did I laugh in response? No, it was what was ironic about it is that (laughs) at that point in time in 2019, Chuck mentioned that it was the, that we were going through then then the 11th short-term extension of the program. Today, we are facing the 26th Short-term extension of the and program, and we we'll undoubtedly in mid-November see number twenty-seven. See number twenty-seven. That's where the smart money is. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's it's Just it just gives everybody a glimpse into when it seems like we talk about these things over and over again. Sometimes because we have to talk about them over and over again, like the flood insurance program, still in a state of short-term extension. Well,
2: to that point, in 2016, I was the chief executive of National Flood, uh, the associate administrator at FEMA, Mm -hmm. and my boss, the FEMA administrator, in 2016 said, Roy, it is your job to go get the NFIP reauthorized. Go get yourself a um, five-year extension. And this was 2016, and I had about 15 months in front of me. I'm like, you know, we'll work with Congress. I think this is very, very doable. Yeah well 2017 came and went uh and a whole series of these pieces has played out um i am confident that congress will not allow the program to lapse for any length of time Mm -hmm. and so i think at a frontline consumer perspective um while there is a risk and i'm not trying to say we should have not talk about it congress has consistently come through and not allowed they want to make sure the real estate market can continue to move forward Uh, but neil i am not convinced that congress is going to do anything about it this year or next Um, flood insurance has long been a geographically focused um, problem far more than it has been an ideological or partisan Mm -hmm. um, reality uh, there are folks who are still chafing from risk rating 2.0 or the new pricing underwriting pricing uh, approach that um, they put in place. And right. if you were one of the uh, consumers, one out of four policyholders saw their price go down. Well, they're not complaining about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are very risky states that are seeing pieces move up, and you know there's lawsuits and all kinds of pieces that are there. But with um, two. Uh, members from Louisiana now leading the House of Representatives. (laughs) Um, I'm just not optimistic that um, they're they're in a hurry on that space.
1: No, I think you're right. I I don't know that anybody uh, really realistically thinks that it's going to be any different in the short run here. It, it it's not but i think you know what what is going to
2: happen is other externalities are going to start making reform of the NFIP more and more um uh important mm-hmm. inflation has driven up um along with uh, the work of, of the fed has driven up interest rates when i was leading the program um more than 20 billion dollars in debt that was in hand um, at that point and you know i looked at the elements that were there and i think we were paying about 170 180 million dollars a year in interest Mm -hmm. Um, my blended insurer my blended rate at that point was one and a quarter percent Mm -hmm. well as those rates have gone up the national flood insurance program is going to pay about seven hundred million dollars in interest this year they're going to start seeing that continue to grow up and if they're bringing in three and a half to four billion in uh premium in a year and they are putting 25 cents on every dollar right back into um servicing that debt they're not going to have enough money to pay claims and it's going to start a pretty vicious cycle now there are several pathways on how to deal with these pieces whether it's the debt or the other kinds of reforms that are there i think that private flood has to be part of the solution uh going forward um, but we also need to make sure that consumers are a getting a product that is useful that meets their needs yeah uh and b that we're not masking the risk by um discounting the price without telling people they're getting a discount right um right, so i, think I think that's that it's, a-
1: That's the most common problem we face today is the is the masking of the risk problem Uh, seems to be, you know, really at the core of some of the discussions around reform. But the political reality, I think you've got it exactly accurately uh, in terms of what we're facing here.
2: Yeah. And neither the Senate nor the House um, committees have this at the top of their list these same committees are the ones that are dealing with uh, crypto they're dealing with issues uh, uh, of ai they're dealing um, with other very pressing issues including sanctions of and the like and so um, they have a pretty full agenda uh, and this is a place where there clearly is not consensus uh, amongst members in the house nor uh, senators on the pathway forward
1: no, no doubt about it. Um, we, if we do this interview in a couple more years, we'll probably be still talking about the then 40 second short term extension. But yeah. maybe, maybe we'll both be wrong. Maybe we'll get a long term solution. But I, I wouldn't hold my breath. Well, listen, Roy. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for all the work and the partnership at the IBHS. It's a great asset for the industry. It's, it does you do, do terrific work both in terms of helping policy makers understand these problems, but also consumers. I encourage anybody in the in listening that if you haven't visited the facility, you should. Uh, it's, a, it's a great place. And-
2: well, and my appreciation to you, uh, Neil, and to your members, um, uh, the Mutuals um, are the lifeblood of IVHS. Uh, the membership that has long been in place that has en- enabled us uh, to do um, our work is uh, really been on the shoulders uh, of the mutual insurers across this country, to whom we are indebted, deeply appreciative, and deeply committed to make sure that we continue to deliver the science to help narrow those gaps uh, so that companies have the information they need and consumers can see pathways
1: to reduce their risk. So thank you to you and to your members. Indeed. And thank you again for joining us. Appreciate the conversation. And I'm sure we'll see you somewhere down the road here soon.
2: Thanks so much, Neil.
0: And that's all for this week's episode of Insurance Uncovered. We'll be back again on November 15th with more insurance news and perspective. So until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a great day.